Nat, we're back with another episode of Made You Think, but without a deal this time. So it's going to be all over the place. Yep, it's going to be tangents galore. It'll still be fun, though. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Today, we're, we're talking about Exodus. So this is a continuation of our great book series. If you haven't listened to the other two episodes, definitely check them out. Epic of Gilgamesh. I don't even know what number we're on at this point. I think this is 81. That's what I think. This is episode number 81. All I know is we're getting closer and closer to 100. Yeah, but I think based on our recording schedule, it's going to be in 2023. We got to do something special yeah. for number 100. <laughs> I know. Yeah, we'll we'll think of something. Yeah. And then the other great book that we've done so far is Genesis, Book of Genesis from the Bible. And we are on uh, Book of Exodus now, which is also from the Bible. So yeah, without a deal, we don't really have to talk about the book. We can just talk about whatever we want, but <laughs> we'll use well, the book as... yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, because we were discussing in the chat whether we do Deuteronomy or Iliad next, and I guess there's actually some debate on when Deuteronomy was added, right? Like, oh. the 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 dates, there's, there's disagreement on kind of like when it was written relative to Genesis and Exodus and those, which is why we have that kind of question of when we should do it. Right. Yeah, because we're doing it in chronological order. Exactly. Right. Doing it in chronological order. And the the Bible in particular is so interesting because it you know, we it's different from like we did the the Quran uh, I guess a couple years ago and you know that was more like self con or that was more in a shorter period of time being created. Whereas the Bible is like this especially the Old Testament is such a extensive collection of stories from, you know, relatively long period of time. I mean, yeah, some of the sets of dates we were looking at were like 1400 BCE for Genesis, but then maybe as late as 700 BCE for Deuteronomy. So it, there's a 700 year gap in the continuation of the story of Moses. Like that doesn't sound like it could be completely right. It would have to be, you know, maybe, Maybe it wasn't as like codified until later. I, I didn't spend a ton of time researching the source of the disagreement on the dates, but it is neat to think of this as something that was crafted over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. I also suspect these stories are even older, like much older than that. Much I mean, we older, talked about yeah. it in the, in the Genesis episode a bit, but yeah, I think a lot of these are probably kind of like Gilgamesh, right? It was a uh, oral story that was, ultimately sort of codified and written down on these tablets. But we don't know how old the oral stories are just because there's right. no evidence of those. I, I'm guessing some of these stories are similar, just given the fact that, like, I mean, we talked about flood myth, right, before on this show and how that sort of appears in a variety of places. I think there's other sort of elements. Like, one thing that strikes me in all of these, at least these two sections of the Bible that we've looked at, is how little, like technology there is and i know there wasn't a ton even in like 1400 bc but even then it feels older than that right and like i know the egyptian kingdom lasted a long long time like there's that famous like thing about cleopatra and the pyramids have you heard about this before yeah 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 like i, I think the meme that i saw recently was like cleopatra lived closer to the invention of bitcoin than the construction of the great pyramid yeah <laughs> it's, it's like mind-boggling yeah, because we, we all think of like Cleopatra as this ancient Egyptian, you know, character. 
but to her even to her the great pyramids were like this ancient object and so it's hard to say like i mean i'm, I'm sure people much smarter than me have, have dated this and have figured this this out much more precisely but it is interesting to think about the oral stories and how they eventually get codified into a text and then they become a lot more rigid i guess than they would have been in an oral format yeah and I, the thing that i always think about when reading these kinds of stories and reading Iliad and Odyssey and anything that's lasted this long is that there, there pretty much had to be some reason these stories kept getting told. And since we're in religion, obviously that like adds this whole additional element, but even without the religious connotation, if these stories weren't useful and helpful, then they wouldn't have kept getting passed along. They wouldn't have eventually been written down. And so it is interesting to read them and, and think about that uh, and, you know, say like, okay, what, what is it that makes this story so timeless? And going from Genesis to Exodus, I feel like Genesis has all of these very different stories that feel like they could be really eternal myths, like things that were handed down because they were, you know, useful for sort of like flourishing of humans and societies and everything. And then there's a lot Exodus, of symbolism. Exactly. Yeah. Symbolism. It seems to like transcend culture. A lot of it, right. Or like yeah. transcend locality, like similar stories pop up in other parts of the world. And then Exodus is interesting because it's, you know, in some ways it's like getting to read the origins of your family, which I think is a really, it's, it's a very interesting and neat idea that I'd never thought of until reading it. But if you're like born Jewish, right? Like if you're hereditary Jewish, then this is like, you know, part of the start of like your family's legacy, right? Like yeah. it, it, it ends with Genesis, obviously, or it ends at the end of Genesis, but then kind of like picks up here. And that's like such a, a neat idea, right? And so if you're, you could be reading this story with your extended family, like hundreds or even thousands of years later. And it's like, Oh, this is like part of our shared legacy. Right. And that's extremely cool. I I mean, I, there's nothing else like that, that I can think of. And it also binds probably a lot of people together in a way that's like, Hey, we're all, we're all kind of related even. Yeah. Like we have the same origin story. Yeah. Like that, that is exceptionally cool. And I had really, really never thought about that until reading it, but yeah, just kind of like the, the power of that aspect to it. And, you know, it, 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 I'm not sure if this is like the reason why, but one of the first things I thought of is that, you know, Judaism has this tradition of like the mother has to be Jewish, right. The, for the, for the kid to truly be like, to, yeah, to, to be considered like hereditary Jewish, I guess, then the mother has to be. And, you know, if you're like, I, I guess in more conservative or like definitely orthodox, but more conservative Judaism, like it doesn't even count if she converts sometimes or like it depends on who you ask, I think, because it's like, and I kind of, I get a little bit where that idea would come from now is like, oh, then you don't fully share this history, right? Like it's crazy. You can see why it would almost be valuable to be exclusionary like that because then you're ensuring that, you know, the future people who join that 
community, that family also share a like biological connection to these stories. That's a great point that you can't just really neat. Yeah. And I guess Judaism isn't really like a missionary culture at all. Right. I mean, you don't really add new people to the tribe. Well, and it's, it's, it is interesting. I mean, I think it's one of the only major religions that's like this, where it is both a belief set, obviously, but it's also a genetic culture, right? right. Like there, there's, there's like a, an actual physical aspect to it too. Whereas like Christianity, there's no like shared genetic legacy associated no. with it, right? Like it doesn't have that same, the, the first word that's coming to mind is seriousness, but that's not exactly the word that I want to use. But, um, no, Imagine. but there's just not a genetic, like biological, like yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't have a biological connection to the stories, right? And I think like Christianity is incredibly is, cool here. Yeah, and I think I mean this is tied to a completely different book, but Network State. The whole like first half of that is like defining what is a nation, essentially. What is a nation? What is a state? And like the differences. But his section on the nation, like a nation, are actually very relevant here. So a nation basically could be a set of essentially a shared people, right? And that could be biological. That could, So, I mean, it could be the Jewish nation, right? Like what exactly what we're just talking about. It could be like a uh, belief system based, right? So Christ- Christianity is, would could form, an, you know, could be a nation by that definition, at least. And it's interesting, like Christianity fully goes on the belief system model and is actively trying to like recruit new members. I mean, if, since it is a missionary religion, Whereas Judaism is actually exclusionary. And he talks about like both types of nations. Like there's nations which are very closed, which mm-hmm. are like nations, like for example, like I think it's UAE or, or uh, so I think it's all the Middle Eastern countries actually for the most yeah. part. You can't really become a citizen. No. Like like I can't just move to Saudi Arabia and become a Saudi citizen. I think I have to like, it's like through birth or through um, my parents have to be or something like that. I think they whereas, have two tiers. Like there, there's sort of two tiers of citizenship. There's one, there's the one that you're born into, and then there's yes. like the <laughs> the oh, you you moved here, the kind outsider, of thing. yeah, right. Whereas, where his his point in that book was like the U.S. is actually more like the recruiting, like missionary type nation in the sense that like we export, like our number one export really over the last you know at least fifty years is basically culture, whether it's yeah. like movies, music, fashion, things like that. And that's essentially like a missionary thing because it makes people want to come here. And we have a way for somebody to become a citizen without being born here. And actually, there's a lot of people who go through that whole process. Um, so we're not being like, we're not the exclusionary type culture, but you could, you know, there's two, there's different types of nations essentially. And it's like a strategy almost, even though obviously nobody's thinking about this as a strategy, but like strategy in the sense that it helps the nation survive. That's yeah. like the ultimate. I guess, mark of was it a good strategy or not. The the other context I've heard this talked about is when you're looking at Scandinavian countries like Denmark, Sweden, Norway, it's people talk about, oh, you know, it's the it's so much more equal and the quality of life is so high and the government's able to, you know, support you so much and your taxes go so far, but they also do not let anybody become a citizen. It's extremely exclusionary. And yep. Japan's kind of this way too, where the public services and stuff can be really, really good because they don't really allow anybody to join the the country. 
and it's i mean there's a great uh, argument for that <laughs> it sounds well, bad yeah, I, it sounds no, bad no, I, yeah I it sounds bad to our of... ears as americans growing up in like this uh equality society which is like i think also very noble and very good but i think it makes the assumption of everybody kind of doing their best to support that culture and then also buying into that culture wholeheartedly yeah uh, and that's a lot easier to do in a homogenous society and totally. this, this is another maybe controversial belief but i think like shame plays a big role in that where it's like you know not necessarily laws are the only thing governing people but also like social stigmas and stuff which yeah. sounds bad but it's like i think that is it's almost like a second layer of law that's not codified but everybody knows it right right yeah and the the question that i've seen it presented in the context of is can you have a highly open society that is also incredibly like supportive and like could, could you have scandinavian level public support from the government and infrastructure and all of those things without being super exclusionary to new people joining the country. And I've always sort of seen it presented as you can't have both. You can either be, you can either be exclusionary and have super high quality of life, or you can let everybody in and there's going to have to be like a greater distribution of outcomes uh, just because of like resource allocation, I guess, right? Like if everybody yeah. can join, then you can't have enough resources to go around for everyone. And it's an interesting question, I think, of where you draw that line, right? Well, I think it's also like the idea that you can't know 50 million people directly, right? So, or 300 yeah. million people directly. So if you're like, you know, for example, if anybody in your, I'm going to use the word tribe, needed your help and came to you for help, you would like, I feel like we would both help them. But like the idea of paying taxes is kind of, and there's many factors with the taxes thing, but like it doesn't feel nearly as good as just like helping your neighbor or your friend. And it also just feels way less personal. It's just like, I'm paying it to this unknown entity. That's probably wasting half of it. And like, you know, but if your friend asks you for help, you're not like, okay, let me scrutinize everything you're spending your money on. So I can tell you, Oh, you don't need that Netflix subscription or you, yeah, you should yeah. cancel Spotify or whatever. So it's like a little different when you're helping like a, a smaller group. And I wonder if those homogenous societies, it's like just because they feel that, you know, other people are like them. All the other people there are like similar. It just is easier to pay. It's like easier to stomach that higher level of uh, contribution. Probably. Uh, yeah. The other thing that could influence this, though, that's interesting. Thinking like from more a technology standpoint. I did a, uh, I had a conversation for my other podcast with um, the founder of CrowdHealth. Have you seen them at all or have you looked at no. them? So it's basically like they're trying to build an alternative to health insurance with this like crowdfunded model, which sounds silly when I first heard about it. But basically you have to pay a monthly fee just like a premium would be for health insurance. Some of that, and that part is very transparent, like $30 a month is going to admin costs. And then the remainder basically goes into this account with which you fund the community's actual healthcare expenses. And there's a couple things they're using to their advantage. Like, for example, everyone in crowd health is uninsured. Like, they don't have actual health insurance. So they get the uninsured prices for drugs. They get the mm. uninsured prices for doctor services. They get to pay cash if you need, like, an MRI or an X-ray or something, which that immediately brings down costs, like, 50%. Yeah. And then, and then since it's crowdfunded, the thing that they've done, and even that, like, I was like, okay, I don't understand. Like, why would I not just, like, keep this money in my account and 
save it for when I need something. But they've created this transparent score that tells you like how generous this person is in terms <laughs> of contributing to other people's healthcare issues. And they only share that score when you need something. So it's like, not like I can just click on your profile and see like, oh, Nat's like a 76 out of 100. It's like, you might never contribute, but then if you need something and you post, it's like, well, Nat has only contributed two out of 100 opportunities. And, you know, you can still fund him, but he's not really a good community member. Yeah. Right? Um, and then like, you know, I, who knows if it's going to work or not, but it's just like, I thought it was an interesting way to try to tackle that sort of not knowing everybody else in the system problem where it's like we're going to put the score i mean the question always comes back to then who controls the algorithm and all this right, you know, right. other still trusted well, party yeah. stuff but yeah it's like it's one of those things where like this sounds like very china like very pro china and i'm not trying to sound like that but it is interesting if there was like it is interesting from a homogeneity perspective if there was like a transparent way to see like how good of a community member somebody is there is that huge question of like what counts as good and like who who determines that, right? And I think that is like yeah. the huge red flag here. But it is an interesting concept to try to make a billion people believe the same or like move in the same direction. You know what totally. I mean? Because it's very, very hard to do that. Well, should we talk about the book? Yeah. <laughs> not talk about <laughs> technology. <laughs> this is what happens when a deal is not here. I know. <laughs> we are like 15 minutes in, more than 15 minutes in, and we well, we we talked about we, things. We mentioned the book. Yeah, it's fine. They, they know what book we're doing. Yeah, should we walk through the story at all? Or yeah, I mean, basically, the Genesis ends with all of the kind of sons of Israel going to Egypt, settling there. So, as as I read it, at least the entire Jewish population is in Egypt at the start of this book, and then Moses is eventually leading them out of it, but they're basically living there as slaves. And so the first part of Exodus, at least is uh, Moses growing up and then starting to have these communications with God and God saying, you know, get everyone out of Egypt, basically. <laughs> and then uh, Moses battling with Pharaoh over being able to do that. And that's kind of like where all of the plagues and the various like retribution against uh, Egypt starts to come into play from God. And that part gets, you know, surprisingly dark. Yeah, uh, that's what the plagues <laughs> on the Pharaoh, right? On the, yeah. on Egypt, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I knew, obviously, that... Or I, I was really familiar with the story, but the the extent of some of it is really kind of, like, wild to imagine, Right. Like, especially when you get into, like, okay, we're going to kill everybody's firstborn son, right? right. Is, and, it, you know, we were, we were talking a little bit, why do these stories persist, right? And, uh, you know, why are they being told? And we were talking about, like, the, the shared history and coming out of kind of, like, this, this suffering and everything. And this is where some of these rituals come from, right? Like, the Passover ritual, and but then it's like okay why why are we talking about or what is the importance of these like plague stories and it really feels like it's drilling in this i this this almost like fear right that, that was the the best yep. thing the, the 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 only thing i could come back to is it's really driving home 
just how awful your life will be if you don't listen to God. Yeah. Yeah, it's like putting the fear of God into... <laughs> Seriously. Into yeah. Seriously. And showing how powerful this thing is, you know, how powerful God is. Yeah. And the the thing that I was thinking about, too, during it is we have to assume that, you know, this very likely was not a total, like, campfire story, right? Like, some version of this certainly happened, I would assume. And That's what I was thinking, too, as I was reading it. Like, these are not made-up plagues in the sense that, like, they were no. completely tied to reality, I think. And you could totally see, you know, the locust swarm coming in and, like, ravaging the food and, like, okay, yeah. That, livestock those, disease. Yeah, livestock disease. Like, all of those things definitely happened. Hail, boils. Right, right. Boils would just would be, like, a disease. Like, yeah, some type of pox, like smallpox or something even. or Totally. Yeah. And, and some of these things, you can you can even see how they would go together, right? Like, if the locusts are coming through and getting, like, the cattle sick and then the people are getting sick off of that. Like, you, you, some of these things can be kind of strung together. But then we get to, like, killing all the kids. And it's, I can't think of what, you know, what would be the origin of that? story in particular or that punishment right yeah that's tied to reality or like yeah that's tied to reality and i i didn't you know i are we reading the same version do you have the robert alter one i don't think i do i have i mean i have the crossway bibles one (laughs) the holy bible english standard edition i think they, they might be the same though they might be the same because I mean, okay. does yours have like a lot of footnotes and stuff? Tons of footnotes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, what was what were you gonna say? Was something from a footnote? Oh, oh, I was just gonna say he does a really good job of like adding footnotes to like additional context and everything, so you you can learn more as yeah, uh, you're as you know because the did he have the, a footnote for this one for this? No, section? like he doesn't. Okay. He, he doesn't talk about that as much, which is the one thing that I would you know, love more context on, uh, because that, that's the question that's always at the back of my head. And I know it's probably like, you know, sacrilegious or whatever to always be thinking this while reading the Bible, but I guess it's kind of our job here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, you know, there, there were just a few things like that where I'm like, where did this part of the story come from? Right. That was the first part where it, where I felt a little, the, the lost. other one, the other one that I also didn't get, um, maybe there's a good footnote on this in your version was the water turning to blood. Yeah. One. Like, I don't know what the natural version of that would be yeah, unless that even I just thought of something, unless it wasn't blood, it was like an algae bloom or something like that. It could be red algae. That yeah. would make sense. Right? Something like that. So that, that would certainly look like it. And then it would pollute the water. So you couldn't drink. I mean, if you yep. tasted it, you would know that it's not blood, but you could, you would see it running red and that would certainly freak you out for a while. Yeah, exactly. Like, I wonder if that might be something, something like that. The the other thing in this section that was interesting was like these cascading problems, like exactly what you said, where yeah. like, I think there was like lice, flies, flies carrying a disease to livestock, potentially the livestock disease turning into boils on a human, right? And then, um, yeah, and then just like things going wrong together. Yeah. Um, and I wonder like in a time where, and I don't, I don't want to like put this on, like make primitive, you know, earlier people seem like super primitive and stuff. Cause I don't, I don't actually think they were, I think they were pretty advanced in their own way. 
But I wonder in a time like that, if, if you did have a chain of some of these things together and you didn't have like science to explain it, mm-hmm. that like, oh, this, you know, the flies brought the disease to your livestock and the livestock, you know, you ate the livestock that were infected and now you have this disease. You know, like if you didn't have like that causal chain, you'd just yeah. be like, you know, well, God is just, you know, destroying us. Like this is, this is crazy. Yeah. Uh, because you wouldn't think those things are like one is caused by the other. You would think of them right, as separate, right. discrete like problems. Yeah, that happened. And I guess we also have to assume that this story is being told back in like Israel hundreds and hundreds of years later. So it's probably going to be some bits of embellishment, right? <laughs> so yeah, it's sort of like what too. we'll talk about with Iliad and the Odyssey, right? Where yeah. versions of those stories certainly happened, but you know, when you can't explain weird winds and stuff, you start invoking the gods and things. So I just, I do wonder about the, the firstborn thing, but we don't have to keep hammering on that. Yeah. That is an I, interesting one though. If somebody does know or has any theories on that, I'd be curious. Yeah. Cause I didn't see, too much about it but and you know it could have just been something that got added Mis- yeah. i don't know i, I don't want to like speculate on stuff but anyway i, I mean I, I was thinking it could even be a sacrifice thing like they just like uh i mean it wouldn't be the first time in human history where sacrifice became a a way to stop to try to stop like a supernatural event from happening so it's like after nine plagues they were like shit we gotta sacrifice our first oh so the egyptians were doing that yeah yeah they almost like started like not trick try anything but yeah yeah, that's what i mean yeah i don't know that's one theory that maybe it became like a sacrifice thing well we'll we'll, maybe we'll go do more research on that and we can mention it next episode or if somebody knows knows more than us send us a message so we need a deal the deal's yeah a deal is probably going to listen to this and text us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then, yeah, and then I guess the next section, right, was when the tribe of Israel is at Sinai, Mount Sinai. Yeah. So they part, they, they eventually, after all these plagues, get away from Egypt. That's where We've, the parting of the Red Sea happens. Yeah, get chased by the Egyptians. Then you get to like where the law section starts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and this is the other thing that is kind of because Deuteronomy is a little bit like this, but Exodus in particular, it's, and we talked about this with Gilgamesh too, where there are so many things that are similar in storytelling styles from antiquity to today, but there are also these things that are just very different. And it, to me, it's interesting that. Exodus is like, okay, incredible narrative journey story. And then just, what is it like 10 chapters in a row of rules? Right. Like, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I'm it thinking was, it about tough. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the thing that I always think about with that too, is like, okay, if I'm, you know, again, going back to the oral tradition, right. We have to th- imagine that these are being passed on orally for, potentially hundreds of years before they get like properly written down. Maybe, maybe not. Cause like the Egyptian, there was writing in Egypt with papyrus and everything. So they would have had some way of like scribbling uh, parts of this down. So it might not have been a hundred percent oral, but I, it feels safe to assume a lot of it was orally transmitted. And I could definitely imagine myself like relatively easily memorizing the story part of it. But then 
to be sitting in a group and like spitting off the rules section from memory is impressive. But that was, that too was probably like, you know, refined over time and some sense of, uh, kind of like what survived and what actually got carried on versus, you know, like it might've been kind of different the first time. And then as the rules of the society evolved, that got worked into the stories, Right. And then right. wherever they settled is what got what got written down. And I wonder like how much exactly like what that's eventually got written down. I wonder like what the, you know, the like change log would be for these. Over yeah. Time. Yeah. That would be so <laughs> fascinating to see. Right. It's like if somebody, you know, stumbled upon a a V1 of like Exodus or Deuteronomy, and then you could compare it to where it ended up a thousand years later. That would be fascinating to see. Yeah, I did think from the Ten Commandments, though, the interesting thing was, like, how, like, relevant a lot of them are yeah. for maintaining, like, a peaceful and successful society. Totally. Right? Like, it's, yeah. I mean, the, I've heard this analogy before with, like, the Declaration of Independence or something. It's like, a, you can almost think of it as an algorithm for society, right? And... One question. The Declaration of Independence or the Constitution, or both? I guess both. Yeah. And the 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 point of or the the context of that point was a good algorithm for a society will be as like minimalist yet broadly useful as possible. So the modern way of doing laws, where there are these twelve hundred page documents is just so absurd because yes. it's like the whole constitution is only a few pages long right. if you put it into like printed text. And that's been like, you know, part of the foundation for our country for 250 years. And the more compact you can make like this operating system for society, like the better. And this is like the more of the ultimate. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's, it's so, and you could even, if you wanted to, you know, take out some of the religious parts, you could probably cut it down to like six of them. And you would get like decently far, I think, with a society where those were the only main rules. And I, I think so. Yeah. Like, yeah. If, you know, take a day off per week, respect your parents, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no, no lying, test, no perjury. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then no, no like, like being jealous, jealousy, you know, competitiveness like that's gonna get you pretty far yeah uh because so many other things derive from that right you get right. contract law and you get uh i mean, I mean it, contract maybe, law essentially comes down to no steal i mean you could already put fraud under the same bucket as stealing because yeah. i mean generally it is and it's like you probably get all of though yeah i mean you get so far with just these and yeah, i guess I mean, if you if you if you make false testimony you don't really, you can't really have a court system or a judgment system because people can say whatever they want. Totally. So it, yeah, it's like the only thing I can think of that is also in the Bible, but is not in the Ten Commandments, is that basically this idea that you shouldn't uh, like escalate violence, which is which is a really interesting idea that really didn't exist apparently before. 
the Old Testament and also like Hammurabi. Uh, because we hear like eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and we think, oh, that's kind of like vicious. But that was actually a big advancement in ethics and morals. Because uh, before that, it would be pretty common to like escalate the situation. Supposedly. Oh, so you stole my you stole my cow, I'm gonna kill you. You stole my cow, I'm gonna kill you, exactly. And it was actually a really big deal to codify. No, 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 like you'll be punished based on the severity of the crime we're not just going to immediately like kill each other over the slightest offense like that was a apparently a really big deal in the history of ethics and it makes sense yeah yeah it and i'd never thought about it before because and i think there's like this cynical modern view too that like oh like religion has caused so much death and destruction and it's like well you're you're you don't know how much death and destruction it prevented as right. well right <laughs> like you're 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 seeing the the arc of history where yeah there were the crusades and you know obviously terrible religious persecution and all these things but society without some of those guidelines could actually be significantly worse and i find you don't get to run the experiment again yeah exactly an opportunity to be like well we ran it again and this is what we we got we ran it again without religion exactly yeah (laughs) Yeah, we, we don't have that counterfactual to compare against so you don't actually know if it made things better or worse but if if it did actually kind of create that rule, that's like a, that to me is a really big deal. That's almost bigger than some of the other ones because that, that's sort of like a major. It, the way I think about it is like you know positive and negative feedback loops, and you know th- those words are bad because a positive feedback loop is one that like grows on itself, and a negative feedback loop is one that shrinks. And if you have a society that escalates violence, then it will always become more and more and more violent. But if you have a society Before that... Before it self-destructs, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Until it yeah. implodes or, you know, horrible bloodshed, whatever. But if you have one with, like, balanced response or even... You know, and this... Uh, I've heard this, too, that the big advancement ethically from Old Testament to New Testament is, you know, this idea of, like, turn the other cheek where you d- you don't even meet the violence, you de-escalate it. Right. And that's a that's another major step forward of saying, like, you know, even that is even eye for an eye is too severe. Like we need to do better than that. Like you need Uh, to break the chain somehow. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Create this negative feedback loop for violence so that it's de-escalating over time. Yeah. And I wonder, like a lot of these stories, to your point, like that they survived because of their usefulness, potentially. I wonder how much of this too, like your point about de-escalation I wonder if there were like a lot of honor killings or family feuds or like things that were like extending along through generations. And it's like this chain is only going to be broken if somebody stops. Yeah, Uh, totally. And it wouldn't stop unless, you know, if your code was still an eye for an eye, it's like you can run that chain essentially forever until there's nobody left. And yeah, it's like it won't break. Somewhat on this note, but a little bit tangential, but related to what we were talking about before with the usefulness of these stories, you you have this one element of, you know, this this history is part of what like binds the Jewish people together and they have this like shared legacy. <laughs> and then you also have this element of if this story is being widely told, nobody's going to fuck with them, <laughs> right? Like it, there, you've got this element of, uh intimidation exactly yeah yeah (laughs) and maybe that's where some of these like plagues get inflated a little bit is not is is partly to give you know you the fear of god but also partly to give 
Egyptians and everybody else, like, do not fuck with us. Yeah. Or, like, all your children will die and all of your crops will spoil. And that's kind <laughs> of like, it, it, one, it makes sense. It's an incredible survival idea, right? Like, you know, we're, we're this unified people. And if you mess with us, like, you know, God is going to destroy you. And it would explain, you know, some of the intensity of the punishments as well is it's not just a, uh, you know, and maybe, maybe even less so a scaring the members as it is a scaring everybody else from that actually makes a ton of like, it makes even more sense that that I kind of love it. It's like really, (laughs) (laughs) it's genius. It is like, yeah, it's kind of like the idea of like the whole point of having nukes is actually not to use them. Exactly. It's to like scare people into ha- into thinking you have nukes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically saying, look, we're gonna we're gonna go back to our land. We're gonna do our thing. And if you mess with us, yeah. If you, you if you try to enslave <laughs> us or you try to stop us from going there, right? I mean, like they literally drown the entire Egyptian army with the sea. Like it's 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 like a superhero story almost at parts. Yep, exactly. Well, I ca- this sounds bad, but I mean, it came up in Genesis as well a little bit, but I think it comes up even more in this that there is an element of the sort of like we have the superhero protector mm-hmm. um, on our side, right? And you better not mess with us. Like, yeah. this is the tribe like that has this supreme being. And yeah, it's like the one thing that does interest me about this is it's like this might be a little bit of a tangent, so prepare. <laughs> no, is that like it kind of implies that there's other gods in yeah. this sort of in this area, right? So it's like even with the Egyptians thing, it's kind of like our god beat your gods, mm-hmm. and that kind of implies that there's other gods, which means like is it like I don't know? It kind of ties into like maybe monotheistic and polytheistic are just weird bad definitions, which is very possible. But it was just interesting seeing that multiple gods referenced in this section, and it came up in Genesis as well that um, that there were multiple gods, and it was just it was interesting to see that. I, I didn't expect that because I hadn't read either of these before, so I just completely did not expect any references to anything other than you know the one god. Yeah, yeah. It it makes me wonder if our modern versions of those terms aren't very good, mm-hmm. right? Where I feel like. I I historically interpreted monotheism as meaning there is only one God, but maybe we should more think of it as you are only worshiping one God, right? Right. So you, you can like recognize right. that there are others. other people have other gods, other but... people have other gods, but those are bad or wrong or whatever. And, you know, this is the right one. Yeah. And, because, yeah, I mean, in the in the text, it's pretty clear that other gods are being referenced, right? Yeah, and, several places. Yeah, yeah, and like this is the thing with Genesis too is it's it's sort of clearly not saying Adam and Eve are the first people because there are immediately other people, right? Right, uh, who are not their children, right? It's right. saying like they're the first people of this land or of these people, right? And it's it's sort of like this subtlety where it's not really about this is all there is in the world. It's this, this should be all there is to you. And or that's relevant to the story. That's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that like, 
I mean, I feel like it's so apparent, and I guess I had never taken the time to actually read any of these before, but it's so apparent when you read it. It kind of makes like people who view the Bible like in a very rigid way. It makes it kind of reduces their case, in my opinion. Like I always thought, maybe it's like, oh yeah, it's how you read it. Like sure, but it's like kind of clear, like the Adam and Eve thing that you just brought up in in particular. Yeah, that yeah, that it's like not starting there necessarily. <laughs> it's like this line, the story is starting there. Yeah, but not necessarily the whole like the whole world. Right, right. It's like this the story of these people. Yes. starts there, right? Like the the beginning of this whole like Jewish history begins there and it's for this culture and these people but there are immediately other people in the story right. <laughs> and other gods right yeah. so it and it's i don't think you can even you'd really i think have to be bending over backwards to suggest that that isn't there right, right? Like it'd be, a, uh, I'd be really curious to read a Steel Man that that is what it's saying that there aren't actually other gods, right? And you know maybe some of this stuff changes in the New Testament, right? We haven't gotten there yet, obviously. That's true. Yeah. And so I'd be possible. curious. I'll, I'll be curious to to read how it's presented there. But it it is this like even just looking at the the Ten Commandments, right? It's you know, number one, I am the Lord, your God, you shall have no other gods beside me. Like that, that could have also been, there are no other gods beside me. Right. Right. But it's not, it's saying like, you have all these choices, but this you, is the one. yeah, I am the one, right? Like it's, it's a subtle thing, but it's kind of, it, you're right. Like it shifts your perspective on the totality of the like monotheistic God. Right. Cause the way that like, it's almost it's weird like it's weird to say this, but it makes it almost seem like the Hindu religion is more monotheistic than the the these religions because sure there are multiple gods, but they all roll up into one supreme mm. being, and it's like they're all sort of manifestations. Like every, all of them ultimately are like manifestations, yeah, and they all have their own idols and stuff. Sure, but they all kind of roll up into one thing in in terms of like origin. Well, it's it's just like very interesting because uh, you don't have that here. Like what I was expecting to find, let's put it this way. What I was expecting to find is like there are, especially in this section where there are other gods mentioned, it's like those other gods are merely subjects of mine or like are merely yeah, uh, false idols. Presenting in other or forms yes. or misinterpretations. Or yes. Or wrong confusion. or just yeah. or human, like made up by people or something like that. Um, or like false, falsely made up by your enemies or something like something along those lines rather than like exactly it's what you said it's like you have all these choices and i'm the one that you have to pick (laughs) yeah yeah which actually is more realistic if you think about it right it's like there are all these belief systems and this god is saying you have to pick my belief system Mm -hmm. this is the only way when you it kind of goes back to the effectiveness of the stories right it is probably a much more effective story and persuasive argument to say, you know, you have these other choices, but this is the right choice versus the, you know, the overly strong version of it that like all of these are, you know, don't exist or are wrong or like, it'd be much harder to, I think, make that argument, especially in this world where, 
there are so many cultures and like they just left a culture with a completely different belief system. Right. And so they, they know that there are other ideas out there (laughs) and it would, and obviously been kind of like living in Egypt for so long. And I guess that probably would have been the only really competing pantheon, right? Like there's that way. Yeah. There might've been some regional things like a Mesopotamian, like middle Eastern, like there has to be something from there. Right. Like, yeah. 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 Or there could just be like little regional gods. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that too. Yeah. Right. It's like, wasn't there like Babylonia? There was exactly. I'm thinking like Babylon. Phoenicians. Yeah. When was, unless these are all different time periods and we're just messing that, messing that up. No, I think Babylonians definitely would have been right. Like between uh, the started 600 BC. Yeah. So it's it's actually later. It says these. Um, they said there were two separate Babylons. There was an ancient one, which was between 19th and 15th centuries BC, and then again, seven, between the seventh and sixth centuries BC. At least that's what's on Wikipedia. <laughs> okay, yeah. So there there is some stuff going on in Babylonia, and then yeah, and I'm sure they had their own gods oh, yeah, and belief As- systems. Assyria. There, yeah. So there's stuff going on basically stretching from Egypt to the Red Sea up into like Southern Turkey. Um, So it it is really interesting to think like how much of history happened around where Israel is. Right. Yeah. Like that, that's such a, a neat part of history. Just like how important that area was, which, you know, explains why it's so important to so many cultures today and to so many religions and how much developed there where it's like, it's literally like Babylon, Egypt and Israel were like where it was at for thousands or at least, you know, a thousand years or so. I also Uh, wonder though, if part of that is tied to like being able to write and like having that technological advance where a lot of the, that's what survived. Yeah. Well, I because I do so... wonder if the okay. yeah oh no I was just saying I, and Turkey as well right it wasn't haven't they unearthed like tons of stuff in Turkey from ancient civilizations like what's that one thing it's like Tekkobleki what is oh, it Gobekli Tepe Gobekli yes there you go yeah yeah isn't that like yeah, another so... very ancient uh, thing in the same region generally so Wikipedia has a very cool map of the second millennia BC where it's color coded based on like the societal advancement of different areas. Oh, that's so cool. it starts. So like there's just hunter gatherers um, is like the least advanced. And that's all of North America, most of South America, and then like Russia. And then you get into uh, oh, North it. Africa and you've got like nomadic pastoralists. So like slightly more organized because they have animal husbandry, but that's about it. And then you've and got parts like, of the Middle East too, right? Or like, yeah. That. And parts of the Middle East. And then you've got farming societies and it's cool because this all like, it's basically as you get closer to the equator and to the middle East, it just gets more and more advanced. And then the only societies that had like states, you know, established city systems are the middle East down into Egypt and then Eastern China. It's like, that's it. Those are the only, there's the whole, then there's the Indus Valley civilization on here as well. Uh yes, I was. And then there's that. also, and, and then there's like, also this one part. 
or no? Kind of, yeah. That's like where Pakistan and India are, so it's yeah, close. Yeah. Um, then there's like this small sliver of South America, though, which I've never heard of this. This is so interesting. With the North State Society? Chico. Yeah, look at that little blue. Oh, okay. You're looking at a slightly different one. No, I, I haven't heard of this. Where is that? Is that like Peru or something? Yeah, that's my guess. Oh, you know what? That's probably Machu Picchu, right? Oh, no. it might be. Maybe. What area? I don't know. Or what? Which one were you looking at? Was it a different year? No, no, same one. Maybe there's a different one on the same page. No, I'm so far off with Machu Picchu. Holy shit, that's embarrassing. <laughs> oh my god, I almost want to go back and cut that out, but I'll leave it in so you guys know. Yeah, Machu Picchu is 15th century AD, not BC. Wait, why is the other one? There's oh, the one you were looking at was 1000 BC, I think. Oh, yeah, and you're 2000 BC. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. There looks like there's some places that like regressed huh? in between well, 2000 that... and 1000. Oh, uh, God, I'm going to say another thing that might be really stupid, but isn't there something <laughs> with Easter Island where it's like, what the hell was going on over here? Because those heads are like way older than they should be. Yeah, and they were able um, to build them and move them. And... Exactly, yeah. It's kind of yeah. like, what? And isn't that stone not from that island or something too? Like, isn't there some like transport that has to be assumed to yeah be yeah it? it's like it's not from there so they had to get it there and it's which is it's massive know, it's, it's like two thousand kilometers off the coast or something absurd so it's like how could they have possibly gotten it over there yeah yeah like yeah. uh it says they may never find a re- conclusive answer to when the poly- when the polynesians colonized the island or why the civilization collapsed so quickly yeah, but you know, this is between 1000 and 1600 CE as well, so it's, you know, dramatically later. Yeah. I, the the dates on some of these things always really surprise me. Like uh what's the Southeast Asian Yeah, Angkor Wat in Cambodia. Mm, yeah. That was built like after Harvard, I think. Wow. <laughs> or no, I am thinking of Angkor Wat, but it wasn't Harvard, it was Oxford. Anyway, Oxford's it was like probably on- really old. Oxford yeah, Oxford. yeah. I put another link in the chat, which is that the one that's in Peru. Yeah. Okay, that's it. Angkor Wat yeah. was built after Oxford, which is really. I mean, you just like you look Hard at the architectural differences, up. and yeah. it's like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. It's also like I think it's hard for us to wrap our heads around. Um, the world was probably so. I mean, not probably. <laughs> this is dumb. Uh, definitely way less interconnected. Then, yeah, so the, the tech know, differences pre- across cultures, yeah. Well, I mean, they might as well have been different universes. Totally. And also, imagine how cool it must have been to be like, I don't know, someone like Marco Polo or something, or like, uh, I don't know, who are like some other ancient travelers, but people who like would maybe go along like the Silk Road and see like the architecture differences between Europe, yeah. the Middle East, like India, China. Like, it must have just been like entering, I don't know, like, I don't even think we have a comparable Right now, until we find till we find the alien civilization, I know that's like the only comp that I could ever <laughs> ever see being the same. Yeah, it is kind of sad that there's almost nothing for us to explore. Yeah, yeah, the metaverse. Born, born metaverse. too late to explore the world and too early to explore space, but yeah, <laughs> just at the right time to explore TikTok. You know, the sad thing, though, is like even if those ancient people had TikTok, they'd probably be rather exploring TikTok also. I know. Well, <laughs> it, 
the the one counterpoint to that or like this this story i kind of think of sometimes when i'm feeling so tech addicted is my family did this trip to africa i guess like 10 years ago more maybe 12 15 years ago and we like went to a maasai village and one of the young guys who lived there gave the tour and you know we're thinking like this is really interesting right like not to be presumptuous but his english was incredible like he spoke it as if he grew up in america or the uk or something and we're like wow you know what what's your education system like out here you know why why is your like english so good and he went to school in london so like (laughs) he he grew up in the tribe and then went to school in london for like primary and high school and I think he did university there too. And then he decided he didn't like it and wanted to go live in the tribe again. And so he's like, so he, he came and did like our life for 10 years and then decided, nope, I want to, you know, just herd cattle and like live in hand-built village and like not have any of the tech modern infrastructure anything he's like this life is definitely better and i I remember hearing that at 14 or whatever and thinking you're fucking insane (laughs) are you kidding me and now you're probably like wait i'm kind of like "Ah, you know maybe he was onto something (laughs) like no i I think think, i mean uh, only if you had your whole family and your whole community and everything right like I, i i don't buy into the people who like grow up in modern society and have no connection to nature like that who then want to go like live on a ranch outside austin like i think that often falls through but if you like if you really grew up in that it's kind of like rumspringa right with the amish where yeah you go try living out of it for a while and then maybe you go back and i think that like community vibe is so powerful yeah i think it's the community vibe that's ultimately what it's about because it's for whatever reason, I don't know enough to say like what the origins are of this or not or, or where it comes from, but I do feel like Western culture is just very, and maybe it's nuclear family now that I'm saying it out loud, but like it is very much like isolated yeah. versus how I feel like cultures everywhere else are just like, and maybe that's by necessity because they don't have any, as many resources, so you have to pool more things together, but cultures that are not Western tend to be more communal. Yeah, And it's a common thing for people who come here to feel lonely yeah. um, c- compared to how they were in their home country. So I could see like I could totally see like this guy who you're talking about just being like, yeah, like this. I might have more money here, but like I just miss that community feel. Totally. I yeah, I, I've been trying to think of like a good way to the best world is if you can somehow match the community with Western resources. I know. And people and and there are cultures that do that. People and I would actually do it. Yeah. But well, funny enough though, like the um I don't know if this is still true today, but like historically, like, you know, uh religion has actually been one of the things that binded people together like that. Yeah. Well, and that's you know, going back to the Exodus stuff a little bit, there are aspects of you know, it's it's like this operating system for a culture, right? Yeah. And you look at some of it and there there are aspects of that that make a lot of sense, right? So having this like hallowed day where you do not work, but you're with your family, your community, you know, you're celebrating religion and life. And like, that's probably really powerful because it, and it's got this like 
this dual aspect to it because you can also think of it as the inverse, right? Where it's also a prescription to work hard six days a week. And because you know you got this one day. Well, right? yeah, I mean, and not even and that, yeah. but it's it's like, you know, for, for us when we read it, we think like, oh wow, a a day that's like totally offline like that sounds really nice right because even on the weekends we're often still working and stuff a little bit and this idea of like oh you're completely offline for a day is a big deal but it also could have meant something in the reverse too where depending on the context of like whatever culture was coming or whatever the lifestyle was like in the culture coming into uh these like commandments and this religious life like you might have also worked less than that, right? Like I guess if you're if you're coming out of slavery in Egypt, then probably not. But for a lot of other cultures around the world, right? I'm thinking like a more Mediterranean kind of like lackadaisical, like chill uh, vibe compared to like no, we're gonna work hard six days and then take like one concentrated day of rest. Like it, it almost lets you outcompete other cultures too, because. There's there's this you're dual, working more than the other exactly yeah room, you've got this yeah. dual prescription of really really hard work and then a single day of chilling um, and then also everybody relaxing on the same day is also very it's really, really nice cool. yeah. yeah yeah it's really good for cohesion I would imagine for like a totally. community again same same thing this whole operating system for a civilization metaphor is well, maybe it's not even a metaphor. It like literally might be an operating system for a civilization. Yeah. Well, and if you think about it, it's the longest lasting one, right? Yeah. Like nothing, there's no, I mean, and it's odd, you know, it's like Judaism isn't really like a civilization, quote unquote. Obviously there's Israel, but the, the community and the mythology has persisted for, for almost 4,000 years, right? Like, nothing else really comes close to it. So if you want, you know, the most like Lindy robust operating yeah. system for <laughs> building a community at scale, like this is it, like nothing else it comes anywhere close to this. And that's a neat way to think about it. Like, especially this book, right? Especially Exodus. Right. It's like, this is the, the origin story and the foundational rules. Right. And that's like that's really cool. I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like I've said that a hundred times, but thinking about it through that <laughs> lens makes it feel very magical. Yeah, because otherwise the story can be like a little dry. It's like, all right, here's another uh, after that first section, because then the first section is pretty exciting, and then it yeah. like gets into all these rules, and then you're just like, okay, I can probably skip this. I don't need to read all. But then you're like, oh wait, this is actually like the the manual mm-hmm. for how to run this civilization. And if you think about it, a civilization that had slavery in its recent past might be thinking, well, what if we lose all the societal structures around how we've built this? This story is how that operating system carries through. <laughs> yep. Is uh, is the Jubilee in Exodus or is that in Deuteronomy? Because that's one of the most interesting rules, I think. I think it's not in Exodus. I think it I is. Think it's, yeah, I think it's in Deuteronomy. It's in Deuteronomy. Okay. We'll yeah. save that for next time. But, you know, you get to some of these rules and you're like, like, it's interesting that that one survived, right? Like, I wonder why some of these made it. And like, like kosher laws are a great example, right? Where they probably helped you stay alive. Like, yeah, not, <laughs> it, bef- before refrigeration and uh, pasteurization and all of these things, like not eating shellfish and not eating 
pork where you can get like trichinosis and stuff. Right. Probably good advice. Right. Whereas like, you know, some of the other things where it's like, all right, yeah, you might get like E. coli. You're probably not going to die. You'll be fine. Same thing with salmonella. But yeah, trichinosis, big deal. I mean, you could. Yeah. So, yeah, that's actually an interesting rule, especially, yeah, pre-refrigeration, pre like, I mean, they didn't even know what that was. It was just like, let's just avoid this category. I think we'll be better off. (laughs) I mean, it's probably similar with like Islam. I think we talked about this in the Quran episode. But it's probably similar with that, too, where it's like, I mean, it's probably like, I I mean, you know, I drink, but it's like probably not a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like the society that doesn't drink is probably it's probably going to do know, better. Probably going to do well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same idea. I do. You know, I mean, we talked about this a little bit, but and actually, you know, I'm I haven't double checked this, but. It's interesting that the the language, like eye for eye, tooth for tooth, is like the exact same as the Code of Hammurabi. I was thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, we're going back into like the what local influences. Uh, it looks like Code of Hammurabi did. So that was Babylon 1800 BC. So, but that's not like a super long time earlier. Right. But it's it's interesting how that like carried over. So then oh, it's a question of right. It's a question of did did Hammurabi actually like start that idea, and that was like really revolutionary, and then uh, Jews adopted it, or was it like a fairly widespread idea at the time? Like all of the major cities and whatnot had adopted some version of that. And, you know, that's how it ended up in here, right? Like that, that rule set, was that just like an emergent phenomenon of living in society? You know, yeah, it's kind of an interesting a, question. There was an article I just found, which basically it's a, the Torah.com, which says Exodus revises the laws of Hammurabi. Mm. And I haven't read the article, but um basically the subtitle is the author of the covenant collection in exodus knew the laws of hammurabi and revised them to fit with israelite legal and ethical conceptions this is clear when we compare their laws of assault in each it is interesting though that like the language is so similar yeah so one interesting thing is like and this is true all the way through to the modern day Mm -hmm. so in this article right they give the example of if a man strikes a daughter of a man and he causes her to miscarry her fetus, he shall weigh out 10 shekels of silver for her fetus. If that woman dies, they shall kill his daughter. So that's like the eye for an eye kind of thing. But it's kind of like, um, so the next line says, according to this, if the pregnant woman survives the blow, the penalty is purely financial. If she does not, the assailant is punished uh, vicariously, namely his daughter is killed. So an interesting question with that, and our modern legal system does the same thing that it's like the blow might be the same. Yeah. Like you might hit the person with the same baseball bat or whatever, but if they survive, it's like a s- attempted murder. If they die, it's murder, but your action might've been exactly the same with the exact same intent. And I've always found that like a little bit weird. It's point. like you meant to do the same exact thing. You just got lucky. The person didn't die or you got unlucky that the person maybe fell the wrong way and died. Yeah. And it's, it's like a very, I mean, I don't know how you judge in that scenario, which is probably why it's judged on the outcome. But I always found that to be like interesting because you do hear those stories sometimes like someone's in a street fight 
and they're literally just like fall down the wrong way, hit their head on the pavement and like end up dying. Yeah. And you're just like, okay, you know, nobody meant to kill anyone in that scenario. And, you know, hopefully that a judge would be kind to that person, but they also could go away for, you know, premed like maybe not premeditated murder, but no, certainly but murder. Certainly, certainly like murder. first degree manslaughter or something yeah. particularly bad. Yeah. Yeah. But it looks like that that tradition exists all the way back to Hammurabi. Like it's not anything yeah. new um, of doing that. Of doing it that way, I guess you you kind of have to though, right? Because how could right. you judge? Intent? How would you know? Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's probably again one of those like Lindy things that like there probably was a society that maybe tried and was like tried like, a few this, different ways, and this is what this worked. doesn't work. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I'm not the first person in history to think about that. I'm sure that's <laughs> thought of many, many times. <laughs> I wonder where they're different though. I'm trying to look for in this article. Yeah. Where it says it was like reworked. Oh, you know, they don't, I, there's no, I, I don't think the Jubilee is here, but there is on, uh, charging interest, which I think is like particularly interesting. Cause this, you know, this was such a source of conflict between Christians and Jews later on in history yeah. because, and th- this is where the, like, you know, uh, stereotype of Jewish bankers comes from is that they were allowed to charge interest, which meant they could actually like open banks and collect interest on debts. But I didn't realize that the language in Exodus uh, and at least the language here says that uh, you can charge interest to non-Jews, but you can't charge interest to other Jews, which is yeah. like, an incredible financial rule <laughs> for growing like, uh, you know, again, like growing a culture like this. Right. Right. I mean, and the, the reason I, or the thing that I think is kind of magical about that is, you know, we know now with like monetary theory and everything that basically the lower you can get interest rates, the higher velocity of money you can have and the faster you can like grow reinvesting within a community country business, whatever. And so by creating financial rules where within the community there will be no interest and just a free flow you know you'll still have debt but you won't charge interest on it but out of the community we will charge interest you're actually creating greater financial velocity within your culture while hurting other cultures that need to (laughs) borrow resources from you like yeah and you're taking resources from them exactly it's it's incredible (laughs) like it's so smart but Um, i wonder if that only works within a small community in the hmm. sense that i would imagine there were also people who shouldn't have gotten the money (laughs) at zero interest in those societies and when they blew up it's like they have that safety net of the community to back them up well, it's like you were saying earlier about there is some value to a shame culture laying on that's, top that's of the true. legal culture. That's a good right? point. Yes. Is yeah. if you know your neighbors intimately and you're going to see them at Temple every week, then if somebody's not paying their debts, you can kind of harass them. But if right. you know some Phoenician isn't paying their debts, you know they're they're not hanging out in your uh, your community with you, so you don't have that same power of shame over them. Right. Exactly. Yeah, ex- it, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's kind of like, so I guess that is actually the deterrent because I was going to, as you were talking, I was like, what if I was just like, I don't know, making it up some guy that wants to build homes in this like ancient Israel. And I'm like, hey, I can get all the money for 0% interest. And if like, my whole thing blows up, 
it doesn't matter because I didn't pay any, you know, like I don't have any risk of, oh, and then, okay, so if that's the case, then why would anyone lend to that guy, right? But right. to your point, it's like a shame-based thing probably or like, you know, some type of community standards being put on it. It's like, yeah, if you don't pay back that debt, you know, now, I mean, that is historically, by the way, that's one of the big differences in America that you actually have bankruptcy law that mm-hmm. works the way it does here. Because I, I remember reading something about like European law pre the US and it was like a major, major deal to go bankrupt. And yeah. like you, you couldn't just get rid of the debt. Like it kind of followed you around forever. Like you would have to become someone's basically indentured servant mm-hmm. to or work for somebody and then your wages are just like garnished forever, essentially. You couldn't just start an enterprise, be like, oh, that enterprise failed, the company is dissolved, the debt is dissolved with that company. And I can go try again. It's like you were screwed for life if you started a company that like didn't work out. Well, and it was such a good change because it put the burden of responsibility on the lender, not on the borrower, right? It's like the lender has to be sure that they're making a good decision about who they give money to instead of just giving everybody loans and then enslaving anybody who doesn't pay them back. Right. Uh, You know, like it, 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 it's such a great flip of the incentives. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, yeah, I think this law thing is amazing. It's like such a cool theme here. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting too. One thing that surprised me was that it says you can get slaves from other cultures, even if they're Jewish, you just have to release them within six years. Like that... That to me seems like such a surprising rule. It seems like if you found other people of your culture who were enslaved somewhere, shouldn't they just immediately get freedom? Unless I'm reading it wrong. While you're looking for that, um, the other theme that I just, or the section thing I wanted to bring up is this whole idea of a covenant, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting, where it's like an agreement between these people and God. Yeah. And if you follow it, rewards come with that. And if you don't follow it, consequences come with that. Right. It's just like a very, um, makes it almost like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, obviously it's a religion, but it's just like a very interesting idea where it's kind of true for everything. It's like, if you go, you know, you fall, it's like not hard to find diet information, for example, the hard part's <laughs> actually following it. <laughs> and if I don't want to like, you know, be facetious and equate the two of those, but they are, I think like, it's kind of a similar idea. If you think about this as like a teaching document, yeah. That yeah, if you follow the rules and do the right thing, like you know, I will reward you and if you don't, well, you're going to be punished. Oh, here we go. So this is chapter 21, line 2. It says, "Should you buy a Hebrew slave 6 years, he shall serve and in the 7th he shall go free with no payment." And if he has a wife, the wife goes with him. And there's, you know, there's additional rules. I just thought Oh, okay, so there, the 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 footnote here is explaining that it's likely an interpretation thing. It's probably talking about the types of indentured servitude that you were talking about. Mm. So, not like true slavery in the sense that someone's owned. Yeah, like that. Yeah, but there, there's another good footnote here. It says uh, the first laws in the group deal with regulation of slavery addressed in the narrative situation to an audience of newly freed slaves. So it makes you know it's like keeping that part in context too right is like we just got out of that and so here's how we're going to like help the rest of our community Be better get out about of that. that yeah exactly yeah 
I guess this is a terminological thing, but apparently that situation may dictate the somewhat unexpected designation Hebrew slave rather than a slave from your people or a slave from your brothers because that was the identity of the Israelites in the eyes of their Egyptian masters. Hebrew generally being a foreigner's label for an Israelite. I didn't know that. I didn't hmm. that it was like I didn't a, know that either. Yeah, external designation. Either. Yeah. Um, and then it goes on and says, yeah, what's clearly involved is not like chattel slavery, but what amounts to a kind of indentured servitude. The Bible does not question this institution, but sets certain limits on it and actually establishes basic human rights for people coming out of slavery here. So, yeah, see, that goes back to your point of like, you know, what it's viewed as this sort of, um, anchor or like problem in terms of societies advancing, but this, maybe this was like a highly progressive thing. Well, yeah, right. Exactly. This idea that the longest you can keep somebody in indentured servitude is six years is actually probably a pretty big deal. Yeah. Because I would imagine, you know, otherwise it's one of those situations where it's like, okay, well, here's your debt, but now here's all the extra charges for like feeding you and housing you. And, oh, you're like, debt's getting bigger and bigger. And, you know, I'm charging you interest. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like, you can't keep somebody working free for more than six years. You can't charge them interest, right? Like it, when you put some of these rules in context, they're actually probably really progressive. Right. Even though, Especially at the time. Like people, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Compared to, yeah. Honestly, that's more progressive than the uh, student debt stuff. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Like that stuff adds up forever. You can't could, get out of it. could learn some things. I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's why, that's why I, I the, you know, this erase all the debt every seven years idea I find so interesting, right? Like, I don't know how that even works in practice, but it's fun to imagine. (laughs) Yeah. Like a Jubilee. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't don't know how it would work in practice, but I also wonder like, I mean, on, on a student debt point, it's like, I wonder if that feature didn't exist, that it's there forever. And if you just kind of had like less, I don't know, like government being the backstop or the lender there. Like, I wonder how that would naturally shift what people study without having to like coerce people. Like, you know, you want more people to go into STEM. I bet more people would go into STEM if like the interest rate on a student loan for a STEM degree was 1% versus the interest rate for like a humanities degree was 12%. Yeah. You know, you might just like, you might think a little differently without yeah, having I to mean, be like forced to like or encourage anyone to do STEM. It's just like, hey, I can because the lender would be thinking about the likelihood that you can pay it back, which is exactly. how they think about it for everything else. Well, um, yeah, if, if you could declare yeah. bankruptcy on your student loans, that would that's what I mean. Yeah. Fix so much of this because right. then the lenders would be like, mm, yeah, we're not giving you 150k for a philosophy degree, like yeah, or or we will, but you're going to be tied to this massive interest rate. And that's going to tie, do that. Or maybe they, they would, wouldn't, or maybe they no, wouldn't do then, it at all. Yeah. Yeah. You would just get driven into bankruptcy and then they right. would be on the hook for it. Yeah. I that's think, true. Yeah, yeah. They would say, no, no, no. Like this degree at this school, you're never going to make money. So we're not giving you that right. loan. Right. Oh yeah. So you could still do it if you get the money somewhere else. But exactly. That's, that's yeah. It. But yeah. you won't get, you won't get. Although maybe philosophy is a bad, maybe philosophy is a bad example because there's so many, uh, you know, I feel like so many rich people who have philosophy background. It, it's very bimodal. It there, is. <laughs> there's like the the one percent of philosophy majors who like go on to be very successful that you hear about, and then there's the ninety nine percent who <laughs> are serving coffee and getting high most yeah. of the time. <laughs> no offense. 
<laughs> you can say that though because I you're a philosophy that. major. I'm a philosophy, you're a philosophy major. major. Yes. Yeah. So I can't say that. Yeah. <laughs> I just had to tee you up be, for that. Be horribly offended. <laughs> yeah. Like hate crime. Yeah. Exactly. If an engineer said that, oh, <laughs> canceled. <laughs> All right. Should we wrap up? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Any last things? I just, I mean, one thing was just, I thought it was, it wasn't what I was expecting. I don't know what I was expecting both for Genesis and for this because I hadn't read them before, but I mean, there were sections where I had to move a little faster and then there were, but most of it, like the story was super interesting. And, yeah. The story uh, really carries yeah. like, it's very enjoyable. Yeah. I found, I found this one more enjoyable to read than Genesis or Genesis. Yeah. It feels a little more disjointed. And this one, we talked really about that actually in the last, in the last episode was that one felt almost like a collection of stories that had been brought mm-hmm. together without much totally. of a cohesive narrative, even though there is, I mean, you know, they're all descendants of the same people. I mean, there is something that ties them all together, but it did feel like separate stories just got thrown together. Right. And this one felt like you're watching one movie. Yeah. Like oh, I guess we didn't even connected. really talk about the tabernacle, but that's okay. Oh that yes. Yeah. Kind of boring. Yeah, I wonder if I didn't understand that part as much. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Going back to what an odd, like, format it is. It's like, okay, one-third story, one-third rules, one-third construction manual. (laughs) Well, and that's kind of like their temple, right, in a way? Yeah, exactly. I mean, so I wonder if that was, again, like, this is this portable operating system almost. Like, here's your origin story. Here's how to run the society. And here's how to build your temple build a house to create that sort of shared symbolism and it becomes yeah, portable yeah. and yeah maybe if they had slavery in like their recent past that is actually like something you would think about very strongly totally uh, like how would this survive if we have to go through another hundred years of slavery or something right we need story we need a way to pass it around just purely through story yep yeah it's powerful yeah but yeah, you're right. That part, uh, that's the part I was referring to. And I was like, you yeah. could probably move a little faster. I was like, on this yeah, one. okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alrighty. So, okay. This is awesome. I, I, I vote we do Iliad next and then we circle back for Deuteronomy just to mix it up a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm good with that. I think the I'm next one fun. we're recording is in a couple weeks. So that'll be yeah. good. Uh, yeah. Make so sure I'd... you listen to the other episodes of the great book series or our older episodes, of course. Um, but the great book series, Gilgamesh Genesis and Exodus so far. And then the next one will be, uh, Iliad. Yeah. Uh, let us know what you think on Twitter. Leave us a a review on Spotify or iTunes. Uh, tell your friends. I have noticed our Spotify numbers have gone up more than our iTunes numbers. So I wonder if people are migrating, Seems like more people are using Spotify, yeah, yeah. Which like I can't imagine. I, I hate hate the Spotify podcast players so much. But there's a uh, there's a lot of people it. that hate it for many different reasons. But yeah, Power <laughs> I think maybe it. it's just that not having two two apps is valuable. Yeah, you know, for some I guess people, that part's so, nice. Think, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I just thought that was interesting. I've been seeing because Spotify does give you the best analytics in terms of podcast That's platforms. Nice. So yeah. I can see like our followers. We're above twenty five hundred followers now on Spotify. Oh, that's just, great! Just Spotify. That's just wow. kind of cool. That's cool. Um, and then they give gender breakdown. They give like what else they're listening to. Not podcasts. Hmm. So I wish they showed us what other podcasts. People yeah, are that listening would be really to. helpful. That would be really interesting. I mean, I I, I can guess a few um, yeah. that we overlap with, but uh, yeah, I mean that would be helpful. But they show you what artists people are listening to. I think like we have a lot Neat. of uh, 
But the funny thing though is I don't know how insightful that is because it's probably yeah, like, like, I don't know why that would be useful. It's kind of interesting. Ours are but. ours are just the most popular artists. Basically, it's got mm. like I think our top five, if I remember correctly, three of the top five were like Kanye, Drake, and the Beatles. <laughs> 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 like three of our top actually hold on i'm gonna look now and then That's we'll hilarious. we'll call it but yeah let's see um our audience i mean it shows you other things like how many people started listening like how deep you know they listen um ooh, our gender ratio got a lot closer to than it was i mean also these are seven day stats so yeah it can change Oh, actually, our top five artists now are different. It's Kanye is number one, Drake two, The Weeknd three, Eminem four, and Kendrick Lamar five. Hmm. Our top country is the U.S. Makes sense. U.K. number two, Canada well, number three. The U.S. is the top country, so. Yeah, we're the best. Exactly. We're the best. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is cool. Like they, they have these analytics and nice little graphs. And you can even yeah, see like, by episode, you know, which ones people are listening to deeper versus not as deep. And yeah, it's it's cool. I wish like the problem with podcasting is it's like this open. It's not a problem, but it's like this open. Uh, it's more like an RSS feed than, than yeah, a single yeah. company. So the analytics are not great, but Spotify can give analytics for people listening on their own platform. That so nice. Yeah. But yeah, uh, leave us a review there. iTunes. Tell your friends. If you liked it, not if you didn't like it. Yeah, not if you didn't like it. Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. Until next time. We'll see you all next time.